Welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles 2022. How wonderful it is to be here once again, gathered together as the people of God, celebrating one of the festivals of God. In fact, two of the festivals when we take in the last great day. And this opening night message is exciting to me because I always love that opening night. We have the opportunity to see old friends, to meet new people, and there is an excitement in the auditorium as we come together to begin the Feast of Tabernacles. The world looks at these festivals as bondage, and they use that term, that it's bondage. It is enslavement. It was for the Jews only and not for mankind in general. Now, one place that they may turn to to say that it's bondage is if they, we go to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, back where these holy days are mentioned in these festivals, in the 23rd chapter and verse 42 of Leviticus, we read here, you shall dwell in booths for seven days, and this is what they like to focus in on, all who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. So they say only native Israelites should dwell in booths. Of course, they don't know who the Israelites are. But even in this country and other Israelite countries, we have those who are not Israelite uh, by birth or by ethnicity. But uh, nevertheless, we see that uh, the idea that they would have is that the Jews would keep these festivals, but the other people would not. So we would have a divided church in that way if we approached it from their perspective. Notice over in Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, where it quotes here from Leviticus 23 and Nehemiah 8 and in verse 14, it says, And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So notice again it says that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during that time. Now, of course, they, this was the audience that it was being written to at that time. It was being written here uh, to the Israelites, the Jews, the Israelites in, in general, but specifically Nehemiah is talking to the Jews, not the house of Israel. But, of course, it applied to the house of Israel, didn't it? Because we read that in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. So we can't take something out of context and just say, oh, it only applies to the Jews or only applies to Israel. In fact, we find that that idea is grossly in error. If we go back to Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter, again under Moses, we find that it is expanded to more than merely the Jews or Israelites. Here in Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter, and verse 13, it says, "...you shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days." when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your winepress, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter. Now, notice this. It says also your manservant and your maidservant. Oftentimes, the maidservants, the men servants, would be of a different uh, group of people. Uh, certainly, as time went on, they brought in slaves or servants from other areas, and they were manservants and maidservants. And we know that the children of Israel came out of Egypt as a mixed multitude. So did the children of Israel have to observe these things and all the strangers that were amongst them not observe them? Well, notice it goes on to say, 
and the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates. We know that Jesus kept the Feast of Tabernacles. We read of that in John, the seventh chapter, and perhaps you'll have that read to you sometime during the feast, but you can look that up, that John uh, tells us that Jesus kept the Feast of Tabernacles. He waited till his brothers went up. He said, you go up to keep the feast, and then after they had gone up, he came up uh, more uh, secretly or privately uh, and didn't speak out until the middle of the feast. But also, another passage of Scripture that no doubt will be read during this Feast of Tabernacles is the 14th chapter. And it's okay if we read these verses more than once. But here we see at the very end of the age, after Christ returns, because notice in verse uh, verse 9 of Zechariah 14, "...the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and His name one." And if you go back to the very beginning of the chapter, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. And it talks about how his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives, and it's going to cleave in two. And there will be a river going out in both directions. And so this has not happened yet. This is yet in the future. And then we read down in verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. That's this great conflict that will take place at the very end, shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and notice, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. All the families of the earth are spoken of here. If the family of Egypt, clearly not Jews, clearly not Israelites, but if the family of Egypt will not come up and enter Enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And then in verse 19, Zechariah 14:19, This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So very clearly, God intends all of mankind to keep the feasts and to keep them in the way that uh, Israel was to keep them, in temporary dwellings, as we shall see. So what is it that we are to do during these special days, especially this Feast of Tabernacles? What is it that we should focus on and do? Well, first of all, we have to learn to respect God and His wisdom. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 14 once again. Deuteronomy 14. And we'll notice verse 22. It says, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. So each year we are to save up our tithe. And for what purpose? Well, this is not the the tithe that goes to the church. This is for us to keep all of God's festivals, but especially the Feast of Tabernacles when the, the lion's share of it will be spent. And he says, You shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, etc. And it says, That you may learn to fear the Lord your God always that we may come to learn to fear or respect God. Respect God's wisdom, because that is what is the problem in in the world today. People don't respect God. They don't fear God. They don't believe that He knows what He's talking about. Mankind in general says, just like Adam and Eve, we want to determine right from wrong. 
and the end result of it has been disaster for nearly 6,000 years at this time. So we come together to learn to fear the eternal our God. Now, how do we do that? Well, certainly by the way that we live and how we conduct ourselves, but there's a, a more formal way that we also learn, and that's found in Nehemiah the 8th chapter, Nehemiah 8, and let's notice beginning in verse 2, uh, this was where they were keeping the Feast of Trumpets. Notice in the last part of the last verse in chapter 7, when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. And then chapter 8, all the people gathered together as one man in the open square. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. And so in verse 2 it says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. So this was on the Feast of Trumpets. And he read from it in the open square that was in the front of the water gate from morning until midday. And that's kind of what we do at the Feast of Tabernacles. In fact, they may have had longer services than our services. But we meet usually in the morning around 10 o'clock or 10.30, and we go till noon. So from morning until midday or noon. And they read from it in the open square. And then it says that the uh, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Verse 4, So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they made for this purpose. And beside him, at his right hand, stood these other individuals. So they were on a... A, a platform of wood to rise above the people so they could see them and so that people could see them. It wasn't to exalt themselves over the people, but so that people could see. They, we, we do that all the time in various venues, not just us, but in uh, political events and uh, lectures uh, of all kinds uh, so that people can see. And so they built this special platform so they could be seen by the people. And verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up, showing great respect there. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. In other words, he prayed there. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. And they lifted up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That's why we oftentimes do bow during prayer and worship. And then it mentions other individuals who did certain things, and the people stood in their place. Then they, they helped the people understand the law. That's in verse 7. Uh, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. That's what I'm trying to do right now, and that's what you will have happening all through this Feast of Tabernacles as ministers stand up and give sermonettes and sermons and they try to make the, the book uh, uh, that we call the Bible, not just the, the law, uh, the first five books, but all the Bible, meaningful and give the, the sense of the Scriptures. And we'll do the same as they have done. You know, God's way is the way of true liberty. The Passover pictures Jesus Christ dying for our sins, paying the penalty so that we don't have to die for all of eternity but that we can be resurrected, that we can be set at free. We are liberated from death. The days of unleavened bread tell us that we have to do our part 
by responding to that sacrifice and come out of the bondage of sin, the bondage of Egypt. So again, it pictures liberation coming up to a a new world. And when we go through the last day of unleavened bread and walk through that Red Sea, as it were, when we're baptized, we come up to a new way of life. We put to death the old man and come up to a new liberated individual. The day of Pentecost shows that we need God's help, and so God is calling us as first fruits, and He gives us the Holy Spirit to write that law in our, in our mind and in our hearts so that we can, again, be free from the penalties of, of sin. And even though we may be forgiven, sin still brings about various penalties, and some of them very harsh. The Feast of Trumpets show that God is going to rescue mankind. He's going to come back here and stop us from killing ourselves. And He's going to give us a a new liberated life that is going to follow that. So He's going to liberate. He's going to rescue mankind from all of our terrible, uh, destructive ways. And then the Day of Atonement pictures the great taskmaster of slavery, Satan the devil, being removed. And this Feast of Tabernacles then pictures the way of life, a different way of life, a different world from the first 6,000 years, which will be a way of of liberation uh, from sin, a time of rest, a time of coming into a new world. And we look forward to that, and we pray for God's kingdom to come to rule over mankind, to bring liberty to mankind. In Second Peter, the second chapter, though, we find that mankind does not respect the ways of God, the laws of God. In Second Peter, the second chapter, he's talking about, this is very similar to the book of Jude, talking about people who reject God, people who fight against God, uh, people who have the, the way of Cain or the way of Balaam, who was going after unrighteous wages, or the angels who sinned. And in that context, he says here in Second Peter 2 and verse 18, he says, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, and isn't that true? We have these individuals out here who, who proclaim freedom in, in various ways. I'm reminded that I was talking with somebody here very recently who uh, uh, was telling us about a minister who came out of the apostasy and got up and stood up before the people wearing shorts and talking about how liberated he was because he didn't have to dress up to come to services. And, you know, we dress before God and Jesus Christ. And we show honor and respect to God and Jesus Christ by coming here dressed up so that we can uh, present ourselves in the right way. Remember that the children of Israel had to bathe and put on uh, clean clothes when God came down or Christ came down, because that's who it was, on Mount Sinai and gave them the law. We see them standing up when the book of the law was read. Uh, we don't do that, but nevertheless, that was a sign of respect, and we must respect God as well. But these individuals promise us liberty from obeying God and, and frankly, just rebelling against God. They themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of this world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, 
It says the latter end is worse uh, for them than the beginning. So they promise us liberty. They teach that you can do whatever you want to do. We don't have to be underneath that law anymore. And they call it bondage. But over in 1 John, the fifth chapter, a very familiar passage. I think that many of you probably have it uh, memorized. But 1 John 5 and verse 3, it says, This is the love of God. People talk about love. Well, here's love. This is the Bible definition of love. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So whether it's the Ten Commandments or the statutes and judgments as we are uh, keeping the Feast of, of Tabernacles and the Holy Days, which Jesus and the Apostles also kept, uh, the, these are commandments from God, and He says they're not burdensome. And they really aren't. Uh, people talk about how burdensome they are to keep them, but they don't mind keeping Christmas or Easter or Halloween or various other days that also have work to them. So just because there's a little bit of work involved in keeping them, driving to the site and getting ready and all that sort of thing, does not mean that it's a burden, not in the true context of it. Notice over in James, the first chapter, where James talks about the law of God. In James, the first chapter, and verse 25, he says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, notice the law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The perfect law of liberty. Now, in the second chapter, we see what law he's talking about in general, the the Ten Commandments. In verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. And then in verse 12, this is James 2, verse 12, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. The law of liberty, God's law. The Ten Commandments specifically here, but the other laws of God, uh, the, the, not just the, the weekly Sabbath, but the Sabbath that he gave us as special days that we are to remember, days that he's going to enforce as we saw there in Zechariah the 14th chapter. Uh, when the whole world will be expected to keep the Feast of Tabernacles and come before God to learn to fear the eternal, our God, always. Let's go back to Nehemiah, and we'll notice that they kept uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, not just the the uh, Feast of Trumpets, but if you read through there, you see that they also kept the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, They found, verse 14, written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. The word booths comes from from hut or cottage or tent or tabernacle. Uh, It just means a, a place of temporary dwelling, a pavilion, as an example. So it's a place of of temporary dwelling. 
And so they were to dwell in these temporary dwelling places. Now, they did it very literally by going out and getting branches from various kinds of trees that, frankly, we wouldn't have available to us in some areas, but uh, nevertheless, that's what they did. And they made booths. They made temporary dwelling places. And then in verse 18, it says, Also day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. So that's what they did. They read from the book of the law of God, specifically the first five books of the Bible. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Now notice a point here in verse 18, from day to day, or day by day. And that's why we do it here at the Feast of Tabernacles. I remember some 25 years or so ago uh, on the Internet, there was a lot of stuff going on then as well as now, uh, these various forums, and one young lady was saying that, well, where does it say we have to meet every day of the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, uh, she said everybody she talked to uh, said, well, it was just a tradition of the church. Well, it is a tradition. It goes all the way back to the time of Nehemiah. He says, also day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. Now we have more of the Bible today than they had then, but we read from the Bible, including the book of the law, all eight days or all seven days plus the the eighth day, and we give the meaning of these things. So to learn to respect God and his wisdom is the, the big lesson that we we have here at the feast. Uh, we also come to eat and drink and fellowship in a godly manner. And I say in a godly manner because some people focus in on this only. Oh, we get to go to the feast and spend money for whatever we want to, and they eat and they drink and uh, they, they get drunk and they, they do all kinds of things, especially some of our younger people historically. I hope that we don't have that in the, uh, the living church of God, but historically... Among some of the people, they would do those things, even not just young people, but sometimes older people. They would think that, well, this is what it's all about, eating and drinking. But, you know, the world can do the same thing. They can have their drinking parties. They can go off uh, on vacation. They can go down on spring break to Panama City Beach and various places like that, and they can, Daytona Beach, and they can have a big drunken brawl. And they do every year at spring break. But is that what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about? Not at all. We come to learn to fear God. That's the number one lesson there. But God wants us to enjoy the physical things that we do have. In uh, Nehemiah, again, we're right here, uh, verse 9, Nehemiah 8 and verse 9. It says, Nehemiah, who was the governor... Ezra the Levite, who, was, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They realized how wrong they had been all that time, and that was the reason they went into captivity. And now they're, they're out of captivity, but even after they came out of captivity, they were drifting back into sin once again. And this was bringing them back to reality as they kept the... Uh, Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, no doubt, it doesn't mention, but they, they would have obviously kept that. And the Feast of Tabernacles now, as they're coming up on. He says it's, it's a holy time. 
He said to them, verse 10, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. Yes, it's okay to have some of the richer foods every once in a while. Not every day, but from time to time. And sweet things, whether it be sweet wine or something else that's sweet, uh, within moderation, of course. And then send portions of those for whom nothing is prepared, remembering other individuals. Don't just get self, self, uh, selfish uh, at the time and spend everything on yourself and forget everybody else. This is a time to remember other individuals. And when you see somebody who might be by himself or herself or a family that may not be able to do all the things that you're able to do, take them in. Sure, you can have your, your friends with you, but also reach out to others and make the feast wonderful for them. And it isn't just the food and the drink, but the fellowship and the fact that you care for them that is going to make it very special for them. And I hope we will do that, because that's what they were to do there. So it says, uh, the Levites quieted all the people, verse 11, saying, Be still, for uh, the day is holy, this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions uh, and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. In other words, the knowledge, the understanding they had is what they were really rejoicing over. And they were rejoicing as they ate meals together. They were talking about the things of God, the messages that were given there. And they were very excited about it. And I hope that we uh, do the same, that we have the same excitement that they had. Notice Deuteronomy, the 14th chapter. Deuteronomy 14. We were there just a little bit ago. And actually read this, but I want to focus in on this part of it. Remember, it says that you may learn to fear the eternal your God always. But before that, it says in verse 23, you shall eat before the eternal your God. Notice that it's not just eating any place that we want to and, and uh, just eating for whatever purpose we want to, but we are eating before the eternal our God. He is there in fellowship with us as we do these things. At least he should be. And the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain, your, your new wine, and your oil. The firstlings of your herds and your flocks. That you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And then he says, if the journey is too far, turn into money. That's what most of us have. And we go there and we exchange that money uh, in our hand for verse 26. Spend that money for whatever your heart desires. For oxen or sheep, a good uh, a barbecued uh, a piece of, of meat or for leg of lamb, for wine, similar drink, or for whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the eternal your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. So this is what God wants us to do. Notice over in Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, Ecclesiastes 3, and this is found in more than one place, in verse 12, but it's found in more than one place in the book of Ecclesiastes that mentions this. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for them, for mankind, than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. So when we're able to 
enjoy the fruits of our labor. We, we work, we get paid, we go out, we buy groceries, or if we are living off the land, we, we do it uh, more directly. But we do that and we enjoy the fruits of our labors. It's not wrong to enjoy a good meal, especially with good company and with God in mind, where he's not left out of our conversation or what we're saying, what we're doing, where God is involved there. So we find that there in Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, in Ecclesiastes, the third chapter. And you can read that in other places in this book. The third thing that we do, in addition to learning to fear God always and eating and drinking and enjoying one another's fellowship in a godly atmosphere, fellowshipping, as it were, with Jesus Christ and God the Father, we also rejoice, which really goes very well together with this. In uh, uh, Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter, verse 14, it says, You shall rejoice. And several other places it tells us to rejoice, to be happy, to be joyful. Not to think of all the bad things that are going on in the world necessarily. It's hard to escape them all. But to rejoice because we know what these days picture. We know there is a better world coming. And if you haven't read our booklet on uh, tomorrow's world, what it will be like, uh, please do so. Please review that and meditate and think about it. And, and allow that to empower you to, to want to be there and to want to tell the world about this wonderful world that is coming when Jesus Christ and the saints will rule on this earth as the kingdom of God uh, ruling over mankind. In Leviticus 23 and verse 40, it says, And you shall rejoice. The days are coming when the whole world will understand the liberating nature of God's festivals when they'll learn to fear the eternal, our God, always, when they will come together to eat, drink in a godly manner, and they will rejoice together in fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. In the meantime, we'll keep the feast ourselves as pioneers of a different world, and I hope that we will get the rest that we need during the feast so that we can be alert and catch all the messages and understand them, that we'll share the messages with one another and feasting and fellowshipping, and that we'll remember one another to show love and kindness to all. So let's get a good night's rest tonight and come back, and let's rejoice in the liberating message of the Feast of Tabernacles.